Welcome back to my study. Uh, even though I've seen almost no one face-to-face -face this week, I've been able to connect with a lot of you, and that's been really good. One encouraging thing that I've heard from many folks is that they've experienced a new openness to talking about God with their families and friends, with coworkers and neighbors as well. This morning, I'm going to address a question that's come up repeatedly. What part is God playing in everything that's happening? Is there some kind of divine plan unfolding here? One friend from church was talking with his mom, and she asked him, does God choose who gets to be blessed and healthy and who doesn't? Is God in control of that? She wasn't trying to be antagonistic. This is a person who has faith. I know the Bible says that God will protect us and he wants us to be healthy and prosper, but does that mean he just chooses which people get to be healthy and which people get sick? What is God's part in what's happening all around us? What's God doing in all of this? Now, anyone who goes looking for an answer will find a wide spectrum with two poles. On one side, there will be those who say God has everything to do with what's happening. He's in control of all of it. God's sovereign will directs every little detail. And then on the other side, there will be those who say God has nothing to do with what's happening. He's not involved at all. He's observing at a distance, watching it unfold without interfering. Now, if you have this discussion, you'll notice that most folks fall somewhere between these two. But everyone you speak with will have been exposed to both extremes in the last few weeks. There will be voices saying, God's got this. We just need to trust him. He is in control of every little detail. Take this view to its logical end, and God becomes the one who sent the virus, causing the whole world to suffer. Maybe to punish, or maybe to cause people to turn back toward him, an acquaintance posted this very viewpoint on Facebook last week along with a passage from Second Chronicles to support it. That's one extreme. And then at the other end, you can find someone insisting it's time for us to wake up and see that this worldwide misery is proof of God's absence. If he existed and cared for us, there would be no disease like this. Neither of these extremes is an adequate answer for Christians since neither follows the Bible's depiction of God's part in world events. Because sometimes God's control causes things which are really hard for the people involved, and other times God fights against the brokenness and the curse which causes our suffering. And so Christians are left with a third alternative. In all times, Christians are bound to see every event in the light which comes from Jesus. This is where we find an answer to the question of what God is up to, because Jesus shows us exactly who God is. And when we look at Jesus, what we see is that Jesus was present to heal sickness, never to cause it. 
In Jesus, we see that God came close to lift burdens, never to put additional burdens on people. In Jesus, we see that God was drawing people to himself through love, never through causing pain. And so we must trust that God has not sent this virus as a part of his plan. And neither is God distant, watching from far away as we struggle. Neither one of those is what we believe. It still leaves the question open for us, what is God up to? What is the plan? Now, here is the answer. Right now, God is inviting each one of us to do what faith does when everything falls to pieces so that each one of us play our part in God's unfolding plan to bless the world even now. There's an event in the history of God's people which makes this dynamic process very plain, and it's going to teach us for where we are this morning. In 597 BC, in the city of Jerusalem, a group of folks had been abducted by soldiers who invaded from the northeast. These were taken captive and brought to Babylon. Members of some of the more prominent families, some artisans and some smiths, priests and prophets, along with a collection of sacred vessels from the temple. Now, for these exiles, everything in life was upended. Their jobs, their relationships, all of their routines, every connection broken, all the freedom they used to take for granted had been removed including their ability to gather together with God's people at the temple. For these exiles, all of it was gone. Now, even though the number of folks taken was relatively small, the whole thing had caused a real stir in Jerusalem. Everyone in the city is talking about it. And at the temple, the priests and prophets who remained gather with the king and a group of the faithful, and they're all talking together, trying to get a handle on what to think of the situation. They're all asking, what is God up to? Now, Jeremiah is there also, and he's a faithful prophet, and he knows what no one else wants to accept which is that this small group that has been taken into exile is only the beginning. Eventually, everyone is going to be affected. But no one in the temple wants to believe that. They all want everything to go back to the way it was. They all want God's plans for the future to match their plans for the future. And what happens is that they find someone who will tell them what they all want to hear. Hananiah, a prophet from Gibeon, just five miles northwest of the city, a man who claims to speak the truth which God has told him. He joins the gathering at the temple and he tells them, don't worry, the trouble is just temporary. Things will go back to normal soon. It will be like nothing has ever happened. Jeremiah hears it all, and he knows it's a lie. But he can also see how the people there eat it up because it's what they want to hear. So after leaving the temple, he decides to write a letter 
to send to the people who are in exile already. God gives him the words to send to those whose lives have been completely upended because their plans have come to an end. And the truth is that even through this disruption, God still has a plan. It's a plan that is good for the world which he loves, and it's a plan which is ultimately good even for those who have lost all of their plans. Even though it seems that they've lost everything, God still is up to something. And most importantly for us, where we are right now in 2020, is that it's a plan that will unfold through his people when they choose to do what faith does in exile. In Jeremiah's letter, there are four instructions for what to do when everything has been upended. And if we listen carefully, we will hear God's instructions for us in this time too, so that we can play our part in God's plan, which is still unfolding, even as we face the disruption of all of our plans together. Let's take our time with each one of these four instructions. The first comes in chapter 29 of Jeremiah's book in verse 5. Let's listen. Build houses and live in them. This means settle down and let your life unfold right where you are, even though you wish you were somewhere else. In a word, the first instruction to exiles is live. In exile, you have to resist the temptation to put everything on hold until your old plans resume. You've got to live right where you are. That's what faith does. Of course, none of the exiles in Babylon wanted to unpack their boxes. They all wanted to be back in Jerusalem, in the houses that they'd grown up in, back in the streets of the city that they loved, visiting the shops where they bought their bread and their olives, sitting together with their old friends in the afternoon, sharing wine and talking about their fields and their families. And so many of them dealt with this displacement by trying to deny reality, trying to wait it out before they started moving forward with their lives again. But this is not what faith does in exile. It resists the temptation to let everything stall out until the old plans can resume again. Instead, faith recognizes that if you're going to move forward, you have to start right where you are. In the last month, many of us have seen good plans completely derailed, and we will be tempted to wait until we can get back on the same track that we had been on before moving forward again, but an exile faith builds new tracks right where you are, so you can start moving forward even though you're not where you want to be. That's God's first instruction. Then, and for us too, it is to live where we are. Let's look at the second instruction, also in verse 5. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. 
God's second instruction for exiles plays on one of the most important images in the whole Bible. The garden is a picture of paradise, a symbol reaching all the way back to the very beginning of the world, where God gives the man and the woman who he made in his image the very first job to be gardeners. Dedicated to the slow and steady work of growing good and beautiful things which nourish and delight and bring life. The second instruction for those displaced is cultivate right where you are. Even in the worst environment, a well-tended garden is a heavenly retreat. And each one of us has been given the God-given ability to be a gardener physically and spiritually as well. God has made you capable of cultivating virtues in your heart and in the hearts of the people around you that are beautiful and healthy too. You can clear the rocks and break up the soil where it's hard. You can plant seeds and water them every day. You can fertilize, prune back the excess, and pull up the weeds. And if you do this slowly and patiently, and steadily over time, in season, you will have a pleasing and nourishing harvest to show for it. Right where you are, in your little exile, you will have your part in God's plan as you work at cultivating your own garden. Plant the seeds of kindness and generosity and compassion today. Cultivate patience and endurance and long-suffering through this period of inconvenience. Nurture attitudes of generosity and gentleness and faithfulness and honesty even now. Remember that none of the benefits of a garden come quickly. So slow down and give your heart and your hands to the things today which really matter, and tomorrow too, and the next day also, and after a time, you will have a delightful harvest. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. That's the second one of God's instructions for the exiles. Uh, let's look now at the third. Uh, this one comes in verse 6. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Now, during times of great distress, many folks instinctively turn inward, cutting off relationships and withdrawing from others. Because of the pain of loss and the depression that comes with defeat, it's natural to decrease. But here, God's third instruction to the exiles is exactly the opposite. Do not give up on each other, God says. Do not fade away. Do not isolate yourselves. Do not diminish. But instead, expect new life to begin right there in exile. Seek together new birth. In a word, multiply and do not decrease. 
Of course, this guidance was meant to be taken literally in Babylon. God wanted to see the families of his people growing in number, even in exile, rather than diminishing. But this instruction to multiply is meant to be taken spiritually as well. And right now, all of us ought to open ourselves to the kinds of relationships that God will give us even now, which lead to spiritual multiplication and new life. We should not fear diminishment. Instead, all of us should expect and should seek spiritual expansion and new birth even in our own exile. Some of you who are watching this morning are here because a friend or a co-worker has suggested that you spend time with us. And even though you're not and never have been a religious person, here you are. And there's something in you which has been opened up by the challenges that we've all been living through together. And you feel even a little bit of hope in your heart that maybe God is in this time with us. You are standing on the threshold of new birth and God is inviting you into his family. The door is wide open for you, and your friends want you to go through it. Because right now, God wants his people to multiply in this exile, and that also is a part of his plan. And that's what he wants all of us who are a part of Renaissance Church to expect in these days. Not to fear that these challenges are going to cause our mission together to suffer and diminish, but rather that God is going to use us to multiply his good work, the good work that he's doing even through these challenges. Multiply is the third instruction. And then one last from Jeremiah's letter. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. God's people are in Babylon when they receive this instruction. It's the city of their lifelong enemies. In that environment where they are stuck, God tells them that they are to seek the welfare of the city, the very city that has imprisoned them, to work for it with their own resources to strategize on behalf of their neighbors, and not only that, but to pray on its behalf, to bring their enemies before God and to ask God to help them too. The fourth instruction boils down to one word, bless. Everywhere that this time of separation has placed us is a place that God wants us to bless. The virtual boardroom that you'll be in tomorrow the meetings on the computer screen, the family we're stuck with, the people who live in our apartment building, the couples who cross paths with us while we're walking in the afternoon, the friends that we've reconnected with, our parents who we're talking to again, the influence that we have in our social groups. Every corner of this exile for us is meant to be blessed. And this is how God's people take part in God's plan for fixing the world, healing the sick, 
and lifting burdens. It's when they seek the welfare of the places where they are stranded, when they pray for the well-being of their neighbors, when they use whatever gifts and whatever strength they possess to stand up against what is wrong and bring transformation with God's help to the places that need to be fixed. What is God doing in these times, we ask? What is his plan? The answer points right to us. Imagine now, if all of us who are spread out from one another this Sunday morning chose to seek the welfare of the people we're stuck near. Imagine if every one of us lifted our voices to prayer in God for the welfare of our neighbors and sought with whatever gifts we have to bless the people all around us in these days. Imagine what that would say about God's part in what's happening. This is God's fourth bit of instruction for exiles, especially to exiles who, like us, should be asking, how do we live in faith in this time? Bless the world in which you find yourself. That's God's answer. When we use whatever gifts we have been given, whatever strength we possess, to stand up against what is wrong and to bring the kind of transformation that God brings with his help in the places which need to be fixed, then we become a part of his plan. Imagine right now if, as we're all spread out from one another on this Sunday morning, if every one of us prayed to God for the welfare of our neighbors, if today we sought to bless the people around us in the ways that we can, accepting the things that we can't do, but still embracing those ways we can seek the welfare, of our family and our friends and our neighbors. Imagine how God will lift burdens and how God will bring the gift of transforming love to the people around us. This fourth bit of instruction to exiles is to bless the world in which you find yourselves. And that's for us as well. Now, after these four bits of instruction, Jeremiah breaks what surely will sound like bad news to the recipients of his letter all those years ago. He tells them that he knows people have been saying that their time in exile will be short and life will go back to the way it had been very soon, but it's not true. The prophets who are promising this are no prophets at all, he says. They don't speak for God. They're liars, he tells them. And then he says, it will be 70 years before any of you are done with this exile. Can you imagine that? None of you are going to be able to come back to the city that you've loved and left. Of course, that would sound like purely bad news. But right after telling them that, listen to what Jeremiah immediately adds. This is verse 11. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. To give you a future with hope. Notice what God does not promise. 
He does not say, I will give you your old plans back soon. He does not promise that your old expectations and hopes will be fulfilled shortly. Neither is the promise that you will know God's plans or that his plans will make sense to you. Perhaps you wish for that. Maybe you think that would make things a lot easier. Maybe you've got it in your head that if only God would make his plans more obvious to you, then you would feel so relieved. But that is not the promise either. The promise is different and it's better than that. It's a promise that God has his plans in his mind. And even when everything seems to be going wrong, still God's plan is for good. And still God's plan is for a future with hope. And what was true for those exiles then is true for us now too. God's plan now includes what happens 70 years from now, and 70 days from now, and 70 seconds from now as well. And the only way to get to 70 years is one second at a time. Listen to me. Every one of you, God's plan for you starts now, in the very exile in which you are personally stuck. And no matter how long it lasts, his plan for your future starts right now, and it is a plan for you to live and to build your home even in the midst of this disruption. It's a plan for you to plant and cultivate the virtues which make life beautiful and good and worth living. And it's a plan to fight every inclination to diminish and instead to multiply right now. And it's a plan to see every shadowy corner of your private exile as an opportunity to shine God's light to bless others in public. And it's a plan to see every shadowy corner of your private exile as an opportunity to shine God's light in public to bless others. And that is God's plan for us. And his promise is to give us a future that is good and a future that starts this morning with hope. And we, all of us together, will see and experience that future only to the extent that we embrace God's instructions for how to live in exile. And that is his invitation to every one of us to walk in faith even in this exile, living and cultivating and multiplying and blessing this world. Accept that invitation. Don't wait, but accept it even now.